Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the news meeting, where we throw open the doors on the argument that happens in newsrooms everywhere every day. It's that argument about what should lead the news, what follows, what matters, and why. Three journalists are going to pitch their top story of the week to me, and then we're going to try and make sense of what we know about that story, what it means, perhaps even where it leads. I'm James Harding, I'm the editor of Tortoise, and if you think that I sound a little husky this week, and you think I'm the kind of person who's going to make a big deal of that, you're absolutely right. That is the top story, everything else (laughs) is other news. Well, I used to be the editor of The Times, I used to be the director of BBC News, so I've been in these meetings before, and my job in all of this, at the end, is to try and make a judgement about what really should lead the news. So from Podomo and Tortoise, this is the news meeting. This is episode four of the news meeting, and the last one, believe it or not, of 2022. As something of an end-of-year treat, I'm joined by exactly the same three people who were there on the very first outing of the news meeting. Dave Taylor is an editor here at Tortoise. We worked together at The Times, where he was the US editor. And then, I'm right in thinking last time that you were here, Dave, you won. I won. Yes. Liz Mosley is back, determined as ever. Yes. Um, we're not going to tell everyone that your mic just collapsed. Liz. Yes. <laughs> An omen of how the rest of the show will go. But welcome, uh, Liz. You were you won episode one. Yeah, it's getting worse is what's happening. You're just slipping. One, two, three. I don't think you can fall off the podium. There are only three players. <laughs> I mean, that's why the mic collapsed. Very are. And Kat Nealon is here, Torch's political editor. Um, you lost. Badly. I don't think you lost. You came third out of three. No, you summarily rejected me without even considering. Yes, by the way, though, Dave came back and said I was wrong about that, <laughs> that all of my prejudices were shown and that we're now living through a world of strikes and that Cat Nealon had said this it's was coming. It's all about the timing. Exactly. You're always right. You just don't know when. Yeah. When are you right? <laughs> I keep saying winter of discontent. I'll be right eventually. <laughs> Come to early May. It'll be this moment. <laughs> of course, this is a bit different to a normal news meeting. You've each brought only one story, as we all know. Often you've got tons, or you've got nothing at all, but we're going to try and stick to our rules. Dave, Liz and Kat are pitching one each, and together we're going to try and figure out what we really know about each of these stories, what each of them means, where they lead, and how much they matter. Before we hear from them, let's have a quick reminder of some of the stories of this week. 
a huge breakthrough. For the first time ever, researchers have been able to create energy from a fusion reaction. This arrest is really the first concrete move by regulators to hold someone accountable for the multi-billion dollar implosion of FTX. Heartbreak for England as they crash out of the World Cup. Questions this morning over the future of Gareth Southgate as England manager. Enough is enough. 43 people were rescued from the channel, 30 of them plucked from icy waters. Nurses going on strike is a badge of shame for this government. People are just worn out now, burnt out, exhausted. I've never seen morale so low throughout the whole of the NHS. So it's felt as though news has been very close to home this week. But what do you each think? What's the story that matters most? Dave, Liz, Kat, can we do it in a single sentence? Long story short, Kat, go first. Mine is bags of cash for life. Dave? It's the basis of all good comedy and most good news stories. Smart people doing stupid things. (laughs) It's getting more and more elliptical, this, Liz. (laughs) What's yours? Well, look, unless Dave has got an actual Martian stuffed up his jumper and Kat has found Elvis in a chip shop in Slough, it's nailed on for me this week. Because my line is that we have found the Holy Grail. It's so bizarre, this thing, because we started off with real headlines and real stories, and now we're playing, like, some board game. It's a sort of cross between Trivial Pursuit and Just a Minute. Okay. Right, Dave, smart people doing stupid things. So it's the fall from grace of crypto guy Sam Bankman-Fried, who's had a really exciting few weeks. His um, crypto trading platform, FTX, has uh, gone bankrupt in November. But this was the week where it all came on top for him. The police knocked at his lovely home in the Bahamas. And on the day he was supposed to be giving evidence on Capitol Hill, he was actually in court in the Bahamas. And then the criminal charges came And just as a bit of background, just to remind people, you know, the year started for him, 30-year-old, worth $26 billion. He'd set up this company in 2019. And, um, you know, he was just flying and was meant to be the good guy of this who was opening up crypto trading to everyone. And, you know, he was a major donor to Biden. He had loads of celebrity backers. Everyone, all the major investors in Silicon Valley loved him. But you you scroll forward, it went wrong for him in November when the biggest trading platform was in talks to buy his company and suddenly said, actually, we don't think we will and we'd quite like to take our investment elsewhere. And that act was the thing which led to his bankruptcy. But here we are, and I think it's a story for us because so many investors seem to have bought into the idea that this was a way of getting very rich, even though it was, you know, there was a bit of a visual clue in the fact that it was offshore and it was using um, trading systems that weren't legal in the US. The thing I don't understand about this story, because when it broke in November, you thought, okay, well, crypto will implode. It's Mm -hmm. an emperor has no clothes story. But actually, it's been quite concentrated on Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. It hasn't yet been, you know, in the financial parlance, systemic. It hasn't spread as widely. Or is that just because we're at the early stage of it? Where where do you think this goes? Well, I mean, I'm happy to say as an early festive gift to you, James, this is a story about the failures of regulation. Yes, now we're talking. (laughs) Now we're speaking my language. It's but, 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 it, is, it is a story about old-fashioned alleged embezzlement as well, I think. But, but well, when I started out as a financial reporter, we always said there were only two drivers of business stories, greed and fear. And the interesting one on, on this, of course, is that 
when people have got in and started to look at FTX, the reporting is that there was no real oversight or not the kind of oversight you need. But I guess the thing that's surprising to me is it hasn't infected all the other cryptocurrencies. You know, Bitcoin's held up. So that that's the weird thing about this story. Is it particular to Sam Bankman-Fried, or do you think it's the beginning of a, of a re-rating, a revaluation of the whole cryptocurrency sector? And I think the great thing about these news meetings is, um, I've used this phrase before, I don't know, and it <laughs> depends. Um, but I feel that they are the types of questions that I would like to go after, that, you know, is, is this just a sort of reputational disaster for crypto yeah. and anyone who was thinking, I don't want to miss out, I should get in, is now looking at this and thinking, well, it's all 30-year-olds, they're not regulated, and, um, you know, I'd just be throwing my money um, into the void. I, f- I think for a lot of unsophisticated investors, that must be true, that you just think, I'm not going anywhere near that. i tell you what is interesting to me about this, which is to take a really interesting story with a real character, 30-year-old, mm. amazing shock of hair, kind of interesting family, Stanford lawyers, all of that's yeah. interesting. So I'm going to take a slightly boring angle on it. It's amazing how hard it is to find out who's losing money. It's amazing how opaque it is. Mm. Mm. It says something about the financial markets that people can be losing hundreds of millions of dollars and you can't find out who they are. And do you think that is about um, investor shame, that they all pile on because they're scared about missing the next big thing and actually they don't really want to own up to their mistakes? I also don't understand it. I, I don't think it's also it. a bit about not wanting to make their other investments weak, right? Because yes. if they've got them in different digital currencies and whatnot, mm. you know, it, it, it will just spiral out of control. So presumably there is a bit of omerta because... So sealing it off, crime scene mm. looks better than system failure. What do you think, Liz, of this story? It's a good story. Um, we did a whole run of conversations earlier this year, you remember, all about crypto and NFTs and all that weird stuff, um, at the beginning of which I understood nothing, <laughs> by the end of which I understood 1% of what I probably should understand. But it was very clear to me, very clear to me, that the whole thing is a pyramid scheme yeah. you know smart people coming into the newsroom and saying it will it is not money it will never work as money don't put your money into these things the whole thing is going to come crashing down so when this happened i just thought finally but like you it's only one domino as far as i can yeah. tell it's a yeah. big one mm-hmm. yeah. it's a massive domino but i can't understand why the rest of them haven't gone i really don't know why that is Carol, what do you think yeah i agree and and actually you know i i think i've spoken to you before about um a, a, a sort of personal anecdote where i um was getting my nails done and the woman doing it was telling me that she was in Bitcoin and she was, you know, a sort of a, a woman of a certain age, shall we say, and, and, and not someone who you would think of as digitally sophisticated. And that's the point when I thought, oh, this is this mm. is a weird bubble mm. um, that's about to burst. And I think it's it's always those things where you don't quite know what is going to burst the bubble, but something eventually does. But with this guy, what's interesting, and I kind of, the way that Dave was framing it there kind of made me think of all the grifter documentaries that we've seen this year, right? You know, the Anna Delvey's, the Mm. We Crash guys, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And just think, the bankers are are not paying attention. They just, and to your point, James, about it either being greed or fear, their greed is obviously just sort of blinkering them mm. to the fact that there are grifters and, and it's the stuff But I don't think don't he know. was a grifter. I don't think that's fair about Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't, it doesn't feel like that was the case. It was a buy-in to an idea that was quite a 
legitimate I- idea. I mean, um, I say that. But I he was playing computer games while they, while having investor chats, wasn't he? I mean, he wasn't exactly focused yes. on the job. And there's hat. a couple of there's a couple of brilliant lines from um, what would have been the congressional testimony in his case, and what was the testimony of another. Um, his, even though he was by this point arrested, he gave a. Um, his written submission was made public and to congress yeah to congress it started with him saying i'd like to start by formally stating under oath i effed up yeah that's what I he says that's that. what he I says and it's and it, again it just sort of speaks to the kind of attitude that he has of hold on did you say i fucked up or i effed up he said i fucked up in congressional testimony yeah, in written testimony well, i think if he said that to the film yeah. aren't we yeah timothy exactly. chalamet as sam backman freed i'm there <laughs> that's it. jonah hill surely <laughs> but, but the other thing by the way about this is that there are always these real world impacts because they bought tens of millions of dollars of apartments yeah. in the bahamas so there's kind of imaginary mm. money and then actual like, buildings f- yeah <laughs> sorry cat no Okay, good, sorry. Um, no, yeah, I'm just taking right. my boots off quietly because I'm so hot. Cat's going to be sitting in her pants by the end of this podcast. <laughs> All right, Liz, what's your story? Um, so the line was, um, we found the Holy Grail. I say we. My, my contribution to the finding of said grail was minimal, I've, I must be honest. But um, what's happened um, this week on Monday at the National Ignition Facility at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California... It was actually something very simple, James. You were doing it recently too. A 192-beam laser pointed at a couple of hydrogen atoms in a really big, massive concrete box, um, heated them up, so they're really, really, really hot. They fused together, and what happened was the in the experiment, um, enough energy was produced to power about 15 to 20 kettles. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> And the significance Tea makers of, of the world rejoice. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the, the point being that in this experiment, um, more energy came out than went in. And so the implication, the, scientists have been trying to do this since the 60s. It really genuinely This is, is the fusion story. It, it, it absolutely is the fusion story. It's been called a remarkable point in human history. It's been called the holy grail of the world's energy problems. Um, and it's been, you know, a, a real race, a global race. 50 countries of the world, they're trying to do it. They're trying to do it because, of course, what you want is a world of infinite energy. And this experiment, which was successfully done for the first time in human history on Monday, is a proof of concept that that is conceivably possible. So you're about to witness, if you're listening to the news meeting for the first time, you're about to witness journalists trying to understand science. Yes. This is going to tip inevitably into comedy. But, But fusion... Yes. As opposed to fission. Yes. So fusion is atoms squishing together... Fission is one atom splitting apart. And the, f- the power of fusion is that we essentially have an energy source now that has zero carbon emissions? Correct. So, so um, it, you know, the sort of the journey from the experiment on Monday to it being literally the thing that runs our, our kettles is a long one. So we'll come on to that. Um, but it's it, 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 in, in the coming together um, of the atoms and the creation of this energy, um, there is no... Um, requirement for fossil fuels it's a sort of stable thing so you don't have the kind of hot and cold thing that you get with renewable energy sources and potentially limitless so the things that would be possible were this scaled are 
you know, absolutely, I mean, I say world changing, they're literally world changing. You know, imagine a world where you can electrify the rest of the global energy system. You can desalinate the ocean as much as you want to so you never have a drought again. You can take all the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. You know, you're never worried about energy production or its output because the thing is safe and totally clean. So in principle, you have proof of concept with fusion. Yes. And as a consequence of that, you have a route to a world of almost zero cost energy. Uh, yes, almost, I think. I don't think it is zero. But like but data, it moves to yes, the same. exactly. And if, and if that's the case, who owns it? It's the Livermore Labs in the US. So is it the US is the only owner of that technology? They've been the first to it. And the, the laser type technology is one way of doing it. There are other labs in other countries that are trying a different type of technology. So they're the first, the laser thing is the first time that they've actually successfully achieved what they call ignition, which is this production of positive energy. And, and does it matter then the whole drive to net zero? Is there a world in which we can all sort of hang up our boots and say, <laughs> you know what? Technology's got this. Uh, so not yet, I think, is the answer to that question, because um, the, the, what they managed to do with this massive laser that they used, which was built some time ago, it was built in the 1990s, I think. Right. Laser technology has improved dramatically since then. But they did an, only manage to do this, you know, once a month, they do the experiment and they managed to make enough energy to do 20 kettles. So we're not quite ready to think, sack off, you know, net zero at this point in time. However... Um, there is a design for a uh, power station that uses this laser-based technology. What they have to figure out is, I don't just want to do it once a month for 20 kettles. I need to do it 100 times a second. Right. And they have a sort of in-principle design for how that would work, where they can fire the fuel pellet loads of times and the laser goes again and again and again. So there's an in-principle design, but I, I, I think, you know... What's the timetable? So I listened to uh, Jim Al-Khalili on the radio and he said, everybody says 20 to 30 years and it'd be longer than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I read somebody saying um, between 50 years and never. Yes, <laughs> yes. Why never? I th well, I think because of um, scale and oh, cost. I so I think, again, I mean, I really know that much about physics, a really small thing. Um, but I believe that... Um, Physics is now not the problem in this issue. It's cost and scale. But I thought the big... It's also going to be politics, right? Geopolitics is going to play a massive role on this because if you are a Gulf state, yeah. the last thing you want is to lose your you know, your only way of, your only source of income. I think it's fair to say there are significant vested interests. I'm yeah. not sure Russia will be thrilled. No. But uh, my understanding is that the big development this week is that the amount of energy that was put in was less than the amount of energy they got out for the yes, first time. Correct. So we've seen a model for something completely different. Yes. And without a huge set of pollutants that come out the other end either. And and with critically, and uh, which is why it's different from the existing nuclear power stations, which yeah. use the fission model, it, with with fusion, there's no risk of a runaway reaction. So of all of us that have watched Chernobyl, you know, all good. Cat, what do you think of it? Yes, I'm going to slightly um, out Liz because um, uh, you said, when we were talking about this in the news meeting earlier this week, you said it was your story of the week. <laughs> Liz, <laughs> blooming well, 
cheating. Oh, but anyway, it might be the biggest story of the decade. It might be. It might be it's, the biggest story of the ever. It is of nice to have. Or of the never. Is True. There, yeah. Is there, are, are there any regulation or inflation implications to this story? Yes. Massive inflation like, implications, of course. What happens to a world where you have zero cost of energy or near zero cost of energy? The reason why this is so amazing to me is that when I got my first mobile phone, the amount that we paid for our data packages was enormous. And then you thought about how many texts did you send or how many messages. No one thinks about that stuff now. We just limitlessly send information. If you get energy at that level on that basis... The things that you would try to do, it's exactly as Liz said. You might say, oh, well, you know, we're going to need to cool this bit of the sea so the coral grows. Yeah, let's give that a whirl. Things that you could never imagine having the energy to do. Anyway, this is slightly unfair because we haven't heard what cat story is. But before we hear what cat story is, uh, let's take a break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Right, Cat. having just heard from Liz the story of the decade, what's yours? Well... Liz's story might be the story of the decade, but it is, as she has said, very difficult for people to understand. And I think the crypto story is also a bit difficult to understand. My story is pretty simple. It is bags of cash, unexplained bags of cash. Oh, yes. Now we're talking. Um, it's what you call a news story. This yeah. is this has been my story of the decade. Um, so um, I think it was over the weekend, uh, the European Parliament Vice President, Eva Cayley, was um, arrested for alleged corruption and money laundering. There are three other suspects. They all deny wrongdoing. She has been stripped of her parliamentary uh, role and chucked out of her party. So clearly people don't believe her Um, and uh, the finger of blame has been pointed at the Qataris although they also deny wrongdoing but no one one else's name has come up Uh, it's an unnamed Gulf state so what's the allegation that a, a country was paying MEPs for what well this is the big question right so when we're talking about it two things have come up one is why um and the other is uh why did they do it like that right um so why this has actually got a lot of people's head scratching because qatar it, it someone said to me earlier this week they've got the whip hand right they've got the money they're able to go into impoverished european countries like ours and say you know what we'll we'll buy up half of your assets and um all all we want is is you to sort of just stand next to us so that when the the big bullies come in you know we've got a bit of heft by our side that's one of the things that they're looking for so why risk it by doing things like this um that was kind of what they were doing with with the world cup obviously and trying to sort of build these strategic um alliances through kind of various different big billion dollar deals. So one argument is that it might have been about this open airs deal. Mm-hmm. Um uh open skies, sorry. Another is visa free travel. Mm-hmm. Um and another theory is that it's um a rogue um element within either the business community or uh sort of 
politicians of a certain age um, slightly freelancing without necessarily... I mean, it may be that uh, it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell situation. But the, 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 I like that kind of distinction between why do it and why do it like this. Yeah. The why do it makes sense, surely, you're, if you are, if it is Qatar, you're in a pretty difficult neighbourhood... Iran, Saudi, quite a lot of uncertainty, yes. and your future is essentially guaranteed but the point, for a generation by gas. But right? the point that people are making is what power does one European MEP have? So that's my that's the interesting thing is why do it like this mm-hmm. is the really curious question. Why mm-hmm. give someone a ten thousand, hundred thousand dollars of of cash? And also MEP one point five million in total so far. It's a lot of money. It's a it's a lot of money to us. It's a lot of money to give to an individual. It's a life changing sums of money to, yes. to, to individuals. It's not like it's systemic. It's not like you're going out and you're buying assets that they've done in London. And I guess, you know, the thing about open skies, mm. the agreements whereby, you know, planes can move in a sort of open marketplace yep. for airlines and visa free travel, MEPs can't do much. No. To and they were that. already in motion, those those deals. So what's going on? Because the Belgian police got really, really rolled their sleeves up on this. Didn't yeah, they? and apparently it's an investigation that's been ongoing for a long time. Um, so you know, we only know the money that has been found now. We don't know what other money there is and what other money may have been before. Do you think it spills into the UK? Well, uh, this is the other thing. Um, so I think that there are definite sort of ripples. Um, I've been trying to sort of sniff out what's been going on um, and not sort of getting to the bottom of it just yet. But what we do know, of course, is that Qatar has um, uh, sort of spent best part of, uh, uh, what is it, about £250,000 in the last year are flying MPs out to Doha and you know, on on lovely lavish trips, um, and you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily I'm not saying that this is this is comparable. And so your question is, what's the influence behind the scenes that gets you there? Yeah, I mean, are UK politicians just much cheaper? <laughs> but you you don't know that, or they have a principled view. That's the tricky thing with yes, this. Yes, you can't okay. you, you know you, you can't impute thoughts. Of course, that's that's the problem. Um, but of course, you know. I think Qatar was very conscious that the world's gaze was going to be on them during the World Cup. And I've spoken to a reasonable number of people who think that probably this was actually kind of the last thing they wanted, certainly right now. Um, And and someone said to me, you know, I I doubt that this would have been authorised by anyone under the age of 60. Right. Liz, what do you think? That's a brilliant story. Absolutely love it. Why? It's uh, one of those stories... Uh, that I feel about the way I feel about a really brilliant reality TV show where I just need to see the next episode now. Right. I need to know how many others are there. I need to know all the history of where the money has come from. And two, I really love that detail about it wouldn't have been authorised by anybody under 60. I think that's a brilliant detail because it talks to the sort of evolution, mm-hmm. either real or implied, of a country that is on a massive PR exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think it's a fascinating story. It's brilliant. Dave? The thing that really fascinated me about it as we sort of wait for the World Cup final is, you know, was this what this was all about all along? You know, the sports washing and the buying up of half of London. Was it just about access in an unlimited way to the UK and Europe for this sort of wealthy elite? You know, either for, as you maybe suggest, you know, reasons of safety 
or reasons of just their desire to have a luxury lifestyle. It just feels like it. Or if you're in that position in Qatar, you've just got such a level of insecurity mm. because you're secured by your gas fields and the wealth, but you know that's going to run out sooner yeah. or later. And then you're caught between yeah. Saudi and Iran and how that plays out. I think there's something so interesting here about the rule of law, countries that don't have it, and then reaching for the real politic of actually, let's bar sell some influence, let's bar mm-hmm. sell political influence or assets or celebrity or sport, all of that stuff. And, and who, it, do, and we, who be, do we blame as well? Because yeah. are they wrong to seek to do this? Or is it the people that accept the money? Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I yeah. kind of don't, almost don't blame them because why wouldn't you if you've got readies and you want to sort of, you know, build those alliances and you're worried about being blockaded. There's something very odd, though, about cash. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who uses cash? Who well, this is, this is the thing that has really raised the Not eyebrows. Not Sam Bagman-Fried. He has no, a full of crypto. <laughs> <laughs> Tokens. If only, Token. it had been, yeah. if only it had been Bitcoin. Yeah. All right, so... I know I said I wouldn't make a big deal about my voice being a little husky, <laughs> but this feels like a good moment just to reflect on... <laughs> You've been so brave. Yeah, I didn't want to make a big deal of it, Liz. Um, Right, so we've heard all three stories. Now, do you remember the way this works? Each of you now has to say which story you think should lead the news. I then say that's very interesting, but here's what's going to lead the news. (laughs) So, Liz. Bag of cash. Cash to MEPs. Dave? Liz's story's got an actual magic bullet in the middle of it. That's what I love about it. It's got all those lasers and a magic bullet, so I'm going for that. Cat. I'm also going for Liz's um, just because it's Christmas and it's nice to have something hopeful. So this is one of those weeks where actually the really interesting question is what comes second and third? So often when you think about the run of news, what you're trying to aim for is this mixture, Dave, you and I have talked about years and years, spinach and cheesecake. How do you get a rhythm to news? So the stories that are good for you and you need to know, and stories that are just fascinating and enticing. And there's a lot about the Sam Bankman-Fried story that is just an amazing parable about kind of Icarus-like, someone who's flown too close to the sun. And so there's a good deal of that that would suggest that's logically the second story. But actually, I'm going to run it third, and here's the reason. I think that the Qatari story, or the story of alleged um, bribery or bribes paid by the Qataris to MEPs speaks to two things that we don't think about enough. One is systemic corruption or influence peddling within Western democracies, which we suspect is there and we don't understand. And the second is geopolitics played out in a very real, in this case, bags of cash way that affects who we trust and why we don't trust our politicians. And there's a, there is, as Liz says, a lot to still learn about this story. And the reason you'd run it is you'd want to wake up and go, well, what's happened next? But I have to say, Liz's story, the reason why Fusion feels like it's the story that should obviously lead the news and arguably one of those stories that day in, day out leads the news and then you keep on investigating and understanding is because it's rewiring the entire energy system for the world and with it, power and geography and the way in which we live and what we could aspire to do in the second half of the 21st century. So, for what it's worth, that's how I'd run it. I'd lead with fusion. The bribery story in the European Union runs second and Sam Bankman-Fried third. 
<laughs> Did you just boo <laughs> under your breath? I'm By the way, I'm say, as I'm saying this, Kat Nealon is shaking her head. <laughs> just quietly, silently shaking her head. <laughs> Let Kat win. <laughs> yes. Yeah, free the Westminster one. My yeah. time will come in 2023. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. That's it from the news meeting for 2022. Thank you to Dave, to Liz and to Kat for bringing the stories and to you for listening. Who knows what the next year will throw at us, but whatever happens, I'll be back hopefully in fuller voice on the 6th of January with three more people all trying to convince me that they've got the story that mattered most in the news meeting. Until then, have a very good break. I'm wishing you a very happy new year. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.